Blog Talk Radio. Playing Sports City Chefs from Amazon Music. Unique designs and high-quality clothing for the great fans of the Philadelphia area. With their original designs for all, there's no doubt that they'll stand out in the crowd. Act now and listeners can use the promo code CHEFS for 15% off any apparel when you shop online at phiapparel.co. That's phiapparel.co. Remember to use the promo code CHEFS for 15% off. Act now while supplies last. Yes, please tune in to PHI Power for real. A lot of stuff going on in Philadelphia in and outside of the sport world, but definitely all of their sports teams are actually doing things, getting to the postseason, just not accomplishing the big goal. Um, but nevertheless, uh, please just check them out and, and give us a little help, too, from our sponsor, PHI Apparel. I have my co-host with me calling in from the Midwest region of the United States. We have Mr. Harvey in the building. Mike, welcome to the brunch this morning. How are you feeling? I'm doing good. It's always a pleasure to chop it up with you. I was thinking about that whole midsummer because, you know, they call the the All-Star game the Midsummer Classic. And I was like, well, it ain't the middle of summer because summer technically just started about, you know, two and a half, three weeks ago. But then I realized, well, it kind of is the middle of the summer break for school-age kids. So I guess that's about the closest to middle middle of the summer we're going to get. That is true. I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. That's why I had to, like, try to rearrange what I was saying, you know. Uh, but I know about the Midsummer Classic, and we are here. As of today, I think a lot of the teams are playing their last game before the break and the home run derby and – the celebrity game, and, of course, the all-star game itself. So they have a little time off, uh, especially if they are going out to the northwest region of the United States in Seattle. Um, 
I I actually seen what the jerseys look like. I, I get the aura of what they're trying to do, but it's like no, I I don't I don't recommend it. So they basically use the colors of the the Mariners jerseys and try to make that national and American, and it just it it doesn't look good on an All Star jersey. I get the Seattle area, maybe actually brings the hysteria there, but. It does not look good for a uh, all-star jersey. But nevertheless, uh, we'll get into a lot of this and more. I do uh, want to start this show off with a moment of silence. I am supremely heavy-hearted right now. I will make it through this, but I'm going through a lot right now. I lost a brother-cousin. Like, this cousin is real close to me this morning. Um, Rest in peace to my cousin, Jason Taylor. Um, I really don't know how to get through it. I'm trying my best. I've been going through a lot since, but um, I'm going to get a moment of silence for somebody that's near and dear to me, and we're going to kick this show off right. Moment of silence to Jason Taylor. Okay, Sports City, let's kick into this because I need this to get off my mind the best way I can because it just happened a little while ago right before the show. And um, first and foremost, I do want to get into a lot of the appetizers as usual before we start to get into the uh, the entree and, and give you the good old stuff before you go run away with the rest of your weekend. First and foremost, we have some interesting fights going on in the octagon and in the square circle in the boxing world, too. Um First things first, I'll get to the boxing world first. Uh, I can't really re- pronounce the name. Romanov Via, I was watching this fight going up against Jaron Boots Ennis. Uh, both of these fighters were undefeated. Uh, good fight because both of these guys are knockout artists. However, Villa is always uh, a power, you know, swing for the fence type fighter, and Boots is you know, technical and, and very tactical on what he does, but he'll finish. He's great at good at finishing, uh, throwing his combos and so on and so forth. And he was actually ready for via all fight. He basically worked his jab supremely early and kept via at bay and, and Villa couldn't really uh, get away with what he wanted to. And once he started to try to throw his bombs, Boots was ready to hit him with his stuff and, uh, it actually wore him down late with all of the stuff, the damage that he took throughout the early portion of the rounds going into the late round. And Booth ended up finishing this fight later in the fight. Um, I'm going to give Boots' credit right here and now, um, especially in that welterweight division where everybody can't wait for three weeks from now. It's Bud Crawford going up against the truth, Errol Spence. And I, I love both of these fighters. I don't know. It's, it's got, I kind of feel like the father that don't want the kids to fight, but they got to fight just for, like, boxing legacy and everybody wanting to see the fight. And they've been trying their hardest, kind of like how Floyd and Manny Pacquiao tried to make it happen and couldn't make it happen. The time is finally here. July 29th is a couple of weeks away. And Boots has been waiting to get that title fight or to get the recognition. And this fight right here with nobody around, not too many fights going on, this fight should put a lot of people on notice. If you have not seen this guy fight, he is electric. He is the price of admission. And the way that he tore V up last night, I, I got to tip my hat, the boots. Um, and the way the announcers and the way that they did the, the dialogue going into the fight, 
They're basically saying that he was fighting everybody that they put in front of him, destroying them, and he's waiting for the title fight, but they just wanted to make sure that the Crawford and Spence fight went down before he could actually start picking a name and, and making a name for himself outside of that fight. And that's a good setup for whoever wins that fight to fight him. Um, there's no more ducking him, especially after this fight. These guys all have a big payday in front of them. They're too, their fight is a mega fight. The fight with him is going to be a mega fight as well. There's about to be fireworks. I say within this year, 2023, in the boxing world, uh, Mike, your thoughts on the fight between Boots Ennis versus Via uh, yesterday? You know, we started the show talking about PHI Apparel, and uh, Boots Ennis is a Philly product and uh, represents Philly Proud. I think the one thing that, that he really did that really made life tough on Via was he he created angles and he made it difficult. He wasn't uh, he wasn't just going to stand up in front of this guy. Uh, he created angles uh, and like you said, he worked his jab and, and hit some serious shots. And the thing about it is, when Boots did get hit, he took a few punches because you going to coming forward the way that that he did. Um, he just it, it didn't really phase him. He just kept he just kept coming forward. Uh, this guy is what thirty-one and zero now with twenty-seven, twenty-eight knockouts. The guy that he was fighting was twenty-six and one with twenty-four knockouts coming in. So you knew there was a good chance that this fight was going to fail to go the distance, and it did. But it was entertaining. There was a lot of action. Uh, these guys banged for real. And uh, listen, if you got Showtime or the the app or whatever, and you didn't get a chance to watch this fight last night. Definitely go back and see it because listen, Jerron Boots Ennis uh, is an up and coming star in this middleweight in this welterweight division, this one forty seven pound division. Now I'm not sure if he is. I think that he'll get one of those guys, whoever wins that fight, maybe next. I'm not sure that he's quite ready for the likes of Spence and Crawford yet, uh, but. At the same time, everybody they put in front of this man, he's knocked down. And so I think that uh, Boots is going to be a relevant name in this welterweight division for some time to come. I I, I disagree. I think he's ready. The way that he's fighting, the way that he's taking care of business, there's nothing else he could do in that division. It's like you, they're going to, okay, you're going to keep putting tomato can and tomato can in front of him, and then they're not going to give him the respect. He's going to keep fighting on PBC and won't get the – pay-per-view respect that he deserves it's like no they got to let the bomb go down now and then 28 knockouts like I, I, what do you want him to do does he need to get 37 like I, I don't know what else he needs to do so yes he's ready those guys it's a it's a bomb threat all three of them this is kind of I and I love the way that I grew up because this is how it feels it, even though it's a different weight class it feels like Hagler, Hearns, Leonard that that's what I feel like this is right now in the welterweight division the sparks are about to fly at the end of this month and um, if and more than likely they might, I'd say probably around November, December, that'll be beautiful, God willing. Um, do it in Vegas. Um, <laughs> uh, if they fight, and um, it, it'll just be great. I just, uh, I just really don't want to see these two fight, but it gotta go down. Um, and just like Mike said, he was he was getting angles, and it was it was one spot in this fight that put me on notice. Like, of course, I've seen him fight, but I wasn't really paying attention because he's orthodox. He could switch from southpaw to, you know, 
regular right hand fighting. He did a move that he set the up so bad he threw a barrage of jabs. He stepped to his left so he outside be his right shoulder. He threw like an uppercut hook. It was so on the money. Everybody in the arena or the sportscasters, everybody said, ooh, we've never seen a move like that. That move was so near, nothing perfect, but I'm saying it. He was so near perfect with that bomb. I, I don't know if people are ready for this type of stuff. I don't know if they're ready for this type of stuff. I was amazed when he threw that shot at him, and it was Rio was taking too many shots to try to throw the bomb. The one thing about boxing that makes it interesting, we fall in love with the gladiator type and knockout artists. I'm not going to lie. I'm an 80s baby, so I grew up off of Mike Tyson watching Mike lay people flat and annihilate them. A lot of people love to throw in their shots. I also fell in love with Triple G, um, Golovkin, coming forward to do Rio. just kept coming forward like he was a Terminator, and he kept taking shots. Not moving his head. That's the one thing about Mike Tyson I do give credit. Mike would come forward, but he knew how to move, you know, and Golovkin couldn't move. Golovkin took a lot of damage, but he would try to get his shot off. And it's the same thing that Villa did. He was trying to do as much as he could to get his hits in, but he couldn't because Boots was elusive and, and knew how to throw shots and, and get out of there. And that's what his father was telling him is don't stay there when you throw your shots. Get away from him. And the sweet science, man, I, I definitely got to give him credit for what he was able to do in that ring. And it took place in Atlantic City, so he was right out here in the tri-state area, real close to home. And it, the Philly crowd definitely flew, or not even flew, drove their way into Atlantic City. So I definitely was very thoroughly impressed uh, in that fight. Uh, Mike, anything else in the middle of this uh, discussion before we get away from it? Yeah, you just hit on something there. We've heard switch hitters in baseball. And we've heard people that can uh, do a little bit from both sides. But this guy is legit good from both sides. It ain't like he just switches southpaw just to kind of try to throw somebody off a little bit and then switch back. This guy is very effective from southpaw and traditional stances. He doesn't really take a step back on either one. And so, to me, that presents a serious problem for anybody that he's facing up against because he's not going to – uh, take a step backwards when he switches stances to try to throw you off, and and that's a matchup problem. And that, and when he switches, it's just him walking. Like okay, so say like if he okay, so he throws his punch, he's getting out of there. If he moves to his right, he's set up for a traditional right. Just like you're saying, if he's throwing his shots and he's walking left, he's set up a southpaw and he could throw just as dangerous punches. His his, his uppercut with his left hand is just as dangerous as with his right hand. I don't even know which hand he's more powerful with. It, he is the price of the mid. I'm telling you, he's ready for them. He's ready for them. He is just like Bud Crawford because Bud is more traditional right-handed, but he switches to southpaw and he does get away with it, but he does get caught when he does switch southpaw. And it was on his stuff both sides of the fence. He, he was not getting thoroughly beaten when he switched like he knew exactly what he was doing in front of him effective with his jab i'm telling you i am a boots fan <laughs> i am a boots fan i'm not gonna lie out of all three of them i, I mean i i feel like it's a 51 49 i love the two of them between bud and aerosmith but i'm more aerosmith i give the 51 edge compared to 49 and i really don't want to even say 49 because i really love bud like that but I got to throw Boots in that discussion. It, it, he is that good. But after what I seen last night, 
He know how to get away from power shots. He know how to throw his power shots. He, he know how to be effective in jabbing. And that move that he put on Veer when he moved to the – he basically crossed his body on purpose. And Veer didn't know because he, he just seen him move, and he threw a shot that he was not ready for. Oh, my goodness. That might have been one of the best punches in boxing I've ever seen. And he didn't knock him out right there, but he ended up finishing him later. But that punch right there, oh, my goodness. Everybody, everybody was like, like in awe, disgusted the way he hit him so good. I, that was great. That was great. Okay, yeah, he might not. Have, um, go ahead, go ahead, finish. I'm sorry. He might not have knocked him. Out, he might not have knocked him out on that one, but I guarantee you that he wrote a check with that one and got cash with the knockout. Right. Like, <laughs> for sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. And um. I feel bad for him because that's a setup punch for other people that's gonna, you know, fight him. They gotta watch his footwork. If, if well, not, they can't watch his feet, but they gotta watch him make that move. Like if he's in the ring and they, he does it to them, because he's gonna catch a lot of people with that. Because they don't know if he's good, if he's gonna throw the right or the left. And he threw that right so solid. Oh my God! It was like he walked, turned his hips into it. It was almost like a sweet home run in baseball. Like when they turn the hips perfect, and you just hear the the pop. Uh, and he, oh my goodness! I, I damn near turned my head how how good he hit him. Oh, okay. I'm I'm enamored. Boots, you got my attention. I'm I'm on watch. I'm on watch. Yes, sir. I am. Um, the welterweight division is back. Okay, so in the octagon, there were a couple of fights yesterday. One was a shocker. Um, that I actually felt the shock was going to go down. I'm not going to lie. Um. Drake is due places, knocks out Robert Whitaker. Let me tell y'all something. Due places has been doing good in the octagon for his past couple of fights. He has not lost. He has not lost. And he's been overlooked every time he goes in there and fights because he's from South Africa. Um, he's unorthodox. The crazy part about it is, is like he doesn't have like a rhythm to his fight. It's like whatever he sees, he throws, he shoots, he does it, he does it all. And people aren't ready for him. He ended up taking care of Robert Whitaker, and everybody thought Whitaker was going to take care of business after Whitaker had an effective fight up against uh, Israel. And Israel, you know, basically came back and, and took care of business the second time too. But this is a good fight for him, and they're basically saying he's calling out Israel. He basically wants to get that fight to sit on top of the world. He's undefeated. And this is this is definitely a great collision course for the uh, style bender too. And I definitely think this would be a money fight. The way that he fought last night and took care of business up against Robert Whitaker, I have the world. And it, he stunned me uh, in the fight and then after the fight, what he did, I just literally this was like, why? Why do people got to keep this moment going? So of course they're in the city I love of Las Vegas, right? And Las Vegas brought in Donald Trump. So Donald Trump is at the fight. He jumps the fence to go run up to Donald Trump and shake his hand and then shake Dana's hand and run right back into the octagon. I'm like, would they leave this guy alone? Like, what attention do Trump need? Like, <laughs> it's hilarious. But um, you, you're from South Africa. What, what, what do you want? You're South Africa. You're not even here. But um, nevertheless, he did what he needed to do in that octagon. I have to give him credit for that. Um, Mike, your thoughts on this fight? If if you, you know, got any word or news on this one? Did you see it? Uh, your thoughts on yeah. Duplaces taking care of business up against Robert Whitaker with a TKO? 
Uh, you know, I'm glad he did because Whitaker has gotten a couple shots at Israel, um, and then he has kind of beaten other people to try to see if he could, you know, eventually get another one. Um, it's almost like he has sort of been sort of the the gatekeeper at this division uh, for an extended period of time. He can't beat Israel, but nobody else can beat him. So for somebody else to knock Whitaker off and legitimately rise to getting a shot against Israel out of Sonia, uh, I think that's great for the division. Happy to see that happen. And listen, I mean, you know, Whitaker is a is a legit legit fighter who has been there and who deserved his title shots and who has continued to take care of business even between those to try to get back there, like I said, and, you know, he got stopped. And so now there's another guy that's going to get a chance at the title and deservedly so, and I just think it's good for the division. We will see, um, and, I, and here we go. I'm being selfish. I'm sorry for it. I got to, but um, this fight may go down in October, November, December. Do a December in Vegas, please. Somebody do a fight in Vegas, please. That'll be a beautiful weekend for me if I could get it to go down, God willing. Um, that'll be great to see if they could go down and have that in Vegas or if they do take it out of the country because I, I really feel like um, the place is going to keep having a fight outside of his realm, they're not going to really carry a fight to South Africa unless they really do willing, unless he gets a belt. If he gets a belt, then he's going to be able to bring the crowd home to go see him fight down there. But um, I, I think they're definitely keeping in either the U.S. or in England or somewhere, you know, somewhere where they they got a respected uh, or uh, fans to come to. But he did take care of business, and um, he's a threat now. Um <laughs> for taking out Whitaker and, and undefeated and taking care of business every everybody that's in front of him. That is for sure. We also have a 17-second knockout by Jesus Aguiar. He had one. Another one that I felt bad about the fight last night, Um, it, it sucks because you want to um, see people do it the right way and not run into, like, a train. But the guy that he's fighting is a train, and – I can't lie. I'm American, and I do support him, and and I support Michael Harvey. I support Michael Harvey a ton. Uh, He's been there for me a lot, and um, he's a wrestler, and you know Mike is into wrestling too. If you guys have not heard of Bo Nickel, Bo Nickel is an American favorite. This dude is undefeated, and he won his fight in 38 seconds. Now, this is the crazy part, right, because the guy he fought, had to take this because Gore was not ready. The guy that he was supposed, Bo Nickel was supposed to fight, he was not ready to, um, or not able to fight. So he had to take over the fight on short notice. And he was undefeated. This is why I'm saying not, you know, you don't want to see it go down like this because his record was respectedly so, and you want to see him build a name for himself and then, you know, kind of get in there and, um, he had to take the fight, and this was his time. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting because Bo is a taller fighter at their weight class. He was six one. He was taller than the guy by, like, five inches. And he ended up knocking him out in 38 seconds. And Bo is a wrestler. So now Bo is in, you know, technically taking these guys out, ground game, doing what he needs to do. But now that he's letting their hands fly and getting people out of there, this is a dangerous situation. Um, he's a fan favorite. And, um 
I, I really feel bad that this is the way that the guy that he was going up against had to, you know, come into the lights up against this. But it was a great fight, nevertheless, for Bo Nickel to get him out of there in 38 seconds. It wasn't as fast as Aguiar's, but I definitely know that everybody was watching this fight because this was like the main card after all of the undercards that uh, took place on ESPN2. Um, Mike, your thoughts on Bo Nickel? the job that he did in 38 seconds. I mean, it ain't really too much to talk about what he did, but uh, against Woodburn, I mean, Woodburn, like I said, he had a, how many, he had seven wins up until this point, lost his first fight up against Bo Nickel in 38 seconds. Yeah, so I mentioned Bo Nickel last time he was on a UFC card. Uh, This dude was a three-time national champion. Uh, The one year that he didn't win it, uh, he finished second. Uh, He is... uh, it's funny because he wrestled at Penn State, but he came out of Texas, which is not a huge, huge wrestling state. They're getting better, but not a huge wrestling state, but like one of the most exciting wrestlers uh, in college, wanted to pursue the fight, the fighting game, and is legit uh, in the octagon. He's he's really worked hard on throwing hands and, and becoming better with his stand-up game. Uh, they've talked about before how wrestling is a very good – base to build off of when you're building mixed martial arts. Now it's always good to get some other tools in your bag as well, but they have talked about before how wrestling is a good base to build from. And listen, this guy is, he's entertaining. He's got the personality. He has got the work ethic and he's the truth. I don't know how high his ceiling is, but he definitely didn't do anything last night to slow his ascension uh, in the UFC and in that weight class, right? So, but Bo Nickel is definitely a name to watch. Uh, when he does fight, I believe you will be entertained by him. And so, uh, you know, him and then another former wrestler in his swan song last night, which I'm sure we're going to get to. Okay, the next one I did want to get to <laughs> probably might be the fight of the night was between – Dan Hooker and Jalen Turner. Um, everybody, uh, please watch this fight over and over and over and over and over again. If you want to see a good fight, this is the fight here. Um, this did go to distance. Um, split decision. The first round, you couldn't really score, like say who won it because they both went both ways. The second round is where the fireworks lit off. And this is the week of 4th of July, so happy 4th week and everything for everybody. Jalen Turner takes off. He starts going crazy on Dan Hooker. It looks like it's over. The way that he takes control of this second round, it looks like it's over. He threw one looping kick that slapped so hard right on the button of the face of Dan Hooker. You thought it was over. This kick, and it hit him on the jaw, it split his head. I don't even know how he just started bleeding from the head. He he kicked him so hard and loud in the face. Everybody, Joe Rogan, everybody was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, he's going to go down. And he was – Dan Hooker is a beast. Like, I, 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 I don't know how he was standing. I do not know how he was standing. He kept coming forward. Jalen kept hitting him with shots. And then next thing you know, the tie turned. In the middle of this round, Turner got tired. And Dan Hooker started taking advantage. I want to say the last 45 seconds, he starts drilling them. Then he tries to put him in a chokehold. There's like six seconds on the clock that he has the sleeper on him. He pulls him back with the triangle, and the buzzer rings, and he had to let him go. When he let him go, Turner could barely get up. 
Turner was out of air. And uh, the third round came, and as soon as he came out, you could see, uh, you know, Hooker trying to rush him, but Turner was throwing kicks and stuff to keep him at bay, threw a couple of shots to keep him at bay. And then, next, you know, Hooker turned it right back on and got him right back to the ground and started taking care of business again. Turner ended up getting back up, but it, it was just like the onslaught of what Hooker went through and, and basically knowing that the end of this, this could be the end of the fight. This could be a loss for him. And um, he swayed the judges and got the decision, and rightfully so. I really couldn't give it to either or at the end of that fight, but that fight was a great fight between Dan Hooker and Jalen Turner. That's probably the fight of the year. Uh, if you did not see it, 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 the tide changed so many different times. You didn't know if Dan Hooker was going to last. You didn't know if Turner was going to last. That that was a gladiator warrior type fight. I, I can hear the Spaniard right now saying, are you not entertained? I think Russell Crowe might have been in the crowd. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on this fight that went down between Turner and Hooker? Yeah, man, he hit him with that kick, and I thought it was over. Like, I expected his lights to be out. Like, listen, nobody's home. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's gonna be a little bit like you, you gonna you gonna wake up in the back and ask me what happened. Like I really thought that you know that was gonna be it. The fact that he didn't just fall, and then the fact that he had the wherewithal to kind of turn the tables. And I mean, the crazy thing is, I really believe if that second round had been twenty more seconds, he just he just choked him out. Like I, twenty more seconds, twenty I mean, more. Like no, no, four more, four more seconds. It'd have been over twenty. <laughs> right. Four more seconds. That sweeper was, was there. Be, he was out. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to be fair with like, uh, like overly generous with a number there. But then even in the in the third round, like I, I thought Hooker did what he had to do in the third round. Like he was able to get it to the ground where he obviously had a decided advantage in this fight. But you, you know, a split decision, and I'm sure they're gonna both move on to other things. But Man, I'm telling you, I I would like to see these two hook it up again. Hopefully they could put it together. I doubt it. Um, I think Hooker's on his way up. This is the thing, because uh, Turner now has seven losses. I think Hooker's going to be fighting for his life because of the way his, his record is. He has to move up as best as he can to get a belt, and then for him to try to return his fight, I, I think Turner's going to have to go on a storm of a run. So is Hooker. That's the only way that they're going to fight again is if, they both start storming through the division and end up meeting again with nobody else to fight each other. It's going to be tough because they both have fought so much uh, with the, with over five losses. Both of them have over five losses too. So it's, it's going to be tough, but he's turned into a fan favorite right now, especially after that, that fight. I, I know he's one of the people over Dan Hooker. I am a fan as of now for you to survive that kick. Like Mike said, I, I, the way that that kick sounded, I, I was looking at he he fumbled a little bit like he fell like not fell but he like faltered and and stood up he still was there and it was bleeding he, he got bleach blonde hair and was bleeding from the top of his scalp and I'm like that kick was that vicious that he's bleeding from the top of his head that that foot didn't even touch there and he's bleeding he's gushing blood and he still was working that fight I I'm a fan um. The next fight I do have to give credit to. Um, I didn't know how this thing was going to go, but I'm not going to lie. I'm a Volkanovski fan. Um, this was really an Australia day. Like, this, a lot of Australians were fighting yesterday. Um, but nevertheless, we had the international champ going up against the champion, and Volkanovski was the champion. Yair Rodriguez was the international champion, and um, all of what he's been able to do out of Mexico, this dude is a brawler, but um, he, he's very tactical in what he does as well. 
if you don't know what uh, Volkanovski brings to the table, just go to YouTube and check out his fights. And, and he's a fan favorite. And the worst part about, or not the worst, the best part about Volkanovski is, is he's short. Like, you, you think a lot of the, the guys that may be taller than him might give him some difficulty, try to keep him at bay and use their reach. This dude is a complete animal. He knows how to work his stuff and, and get you to the ground and, and maul you. And uh, ended up getting a, a TKO uh, in the third round up against Jair, nevertheless. And um, I didn't know which way to go because it was like I am a Volkanovski fan, but I did want to see if Rodriguez could try and make this a fight or pull it off. It's just something about it. I I, I thought I, I wanted Alexander to do his thing, but uh, it was just watching the tape on Yair. I was like, this could be an interesting fight. And uh, Volkanovski, nevertheless, did not disappoint and won this fight handily. The crazy part about this is now Volkanovski has both of those belts uh, in the division and is standing on top of the world right now. And some fighters I don't, I can't even say it that way. I don't want to say I don't respect them. Um, but it's like it's like when they get two belts, it's like, okay, it's, it's like a show. I feel like it's a show to me. This one where Volkanovski won that and got both of the belts is like, you've earned it. You got here. Like when Connor, it felt different when Connor did it. It was like uh, they, they're riding the Connor horse as best as they can because this dude was a, he's still, even with him not even in the sport, he's a cash cow. Anything he does, he could break tour bus windows. He can maul a Miami Heat mascot. He could do something to a lady in Miami, and he still got money being generated around him just because he's a fan favorite. People love the aura. I know, well, God rest his soul, I know people that were in the, the fighting world with him that knew him personally, they said all Connor does is an act. He's doing that to sell tickets. They said that Connor's probably one of the nicest people y'all can meet. But y'all see him saying, F you, and who the F is this guy, so on and so forth, is to sell tickets and that aura uh, sells. And that's why I was kind of like, oh, whatever with Connor. But it, he's, he's doing that to generate money, trying to make a living. Um, but Volkanovski isn't like that. Volkanovski talks how he needs to talk, go in there and do work and get out of there and, and goes to the next day. And I, I got to give him credit for what he was able to do yesterday up against Jair Rodriguez and, and getting a knockout as well in Vegas. Mike, your thoughts on this fight between Volkanovski and Rodriguez? So, actually, as the interim belt, not internationally, he held because Volkanovski went up and challenged at lightweight um, at 155 up there. So he went up there and fought, and since he went up there and was up there for a minute to train for that fight, they put the interim title on Rodriguez. And so Volkanovski just came back to the weight class and said, look, this is my weight class, you know. I'm Alexander the Great for a reason. Um, There's really not a whole lot complicated about Alexander's game. You know what he wants to do. He wants to strike enough to get you to the ground, and then he's going to ground and pound you into submission. Uh, But it's one thing to know what he's going to do and another thing to try and stop it. And and Alexander the Great is is really ascending the list. I don't know if I put him tops right now, but if not, very close to the top right now of best pound-for-pound fighter in the UFC. He is a problem, and I don't really see right now, of course, things can always change, and and they will at some point, but I don't really see right now 
a guy at 145 that can really mess with this guy. Rodriguez was a worthy adversary and a good opponent, but watching this fight, I never really thought that Alexander was in any kind of trouble at all. He imposed his will uh, in the first two rounds of this fight and then closed the deal in the third. He's you know, stepped in that octagon uh, with a plan and then executed that plan and handled his business and basically got his belt back is what happened. That belt that he do you, think, do you think they run this back since you think there's nobody in the division that they can fight? These but they basically were champ against champ in this situation. Do they run this back? Is there a part two in this? I, I don't think so. I think they'll find another challenger, but I will say this. Uh, much like what happened with Whitaker and Adesanya, I think that if Rodriguez wins a couple more fights and Alexander defends the title, I think then they're not going to have any choice but to run it back. But I don't think it'll be an immediate run back. Fair enough. Fair enough. I I I want to see it again, but I agree with you. I think in due time, like like Yair has to build himself back up. I want to say probably within the next two to four fights. Let me be fair with a number. Because I don't. I mean, I would love to see it ran back, but Volkanovski's on a cloud right now, and I don't. If he does fight again, it'd probably be at the end of the year. But who would it be? Like, he's been dismantling people for him to be twenty six and two at this. He's he's on one of these incredible feats. I feel like George St. Pierre all over again. He's on this run. Um, It's going to be interesting to see if they can get somebody to fight him uh, at the pace that Rodriguez could bring. Because Rodriguez got him to the ground and made it interesting earlier. Just that Volkanovski was able to finish him in the third round and and move on to the next one. And I got to give Volkanovski credit. He's also a fan favorite. And um, <laughs> they may have been in America on the 4th of July week, but this was Australia's day. <laughs> Between him and, and at least Hooker, I'll at least give him that. Robert Whitaker actually fell short and, and got taken care of by the places. But um, a great night of fights. Uh, from the octagon to the square circle, everything was great. Across the board, I do have to give that credit. Okay. So. One more in the octagon. One more in the octagon. Robbie Lawler uh, finished his career. Oh, yeah, that was the undercard. Yeah. Oh, my God, and he got a big knockout. <laughs> Glad you brought that up, Mike. I'm, uh, Robbie, I, I, I got to apologize that I was going to overlook that one. He got a knockout, and he needed that. And the crazy part about it is, is I really felt, and don't get mad at me, Mike, and everybody in Sports City, so on and so forth. I really thought Robbie Lawler was, like, done, like, be- well before the fight. Like, I thought his career was over because he's been going through so much, taking losses here and there. And just I, I just don't like to look at that empty look when he's losing and look at the crowd and it's like, nah, Robbie, don't go out that way. And for him to pull out this knockout, does he make a name for himself all over again and start trying to climb the rank? I don't know because he is older now. Mike, since you brought it up, your thoughts on the fight for Lawler pulling off a big knockout in the undercard? So, Robbie Lawler retired. Uh, they gave him a, a retirement package, uh, and he so he got that. And uh, just for him giving thanks, like I saw Cormier and other people talking about uh, last night how even a lot, a lot of the toughest dudes in the business, like the way he went out, uh, kind of a fairy tale ending. Like most really good fighters go out on their back or after losing. And like you said, he's taken a few – 
losses lately, but Robbie Lawler's been doing this for, uh, man, 20 years or something. He's been in this sport for a long time, and he has he's fought into main event fights. He's fought uh, some of the best to ever do it. He's won his share. He's taken some losses along the way, too. Uh, another guy who started from wrestling, but for him to be able to get a big win like this and this be his last fight and the last uh, time he's going to be in the octagon. Uh, I just think it's, you know, to have that kind of heroish type ending and be able to go out on top, you know, obviously not as a champion, but just to go out with a big win like that and a highlight knockout and to end your career that way. Uh, you know, I, I would like to see more of our uh, heroes uh, or more of our, our guys that we really look up to and really respect be able to go out on a high like that versus, you know, when they've gone way too long or whatever else. And so for him to be able to, like you said, he's shown some signs of maybe being done or not having anything left in the tank. And I think he knew that the end was near. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's the reason why he took this fight because he wanted to have a chance to, you know, have a redemption fight and, and to, to leave the sport with a better taste in his mouth. And I think mission accomplished. Um, so hats off to a great career for Robbie Lawler. You were entertaining to watch. Always brought it. And uh, even when you were outclassed and befuddled, like uh, you, you had the heart of a champion. So a great career for Robbie Lawler. And uh, send him out in, in, in style. Good for him. Great stuff. I, I, I definitely uh... – appreciate what he's able to do. And just like you said, a lot of the fighters that do end up retiring, it, it takes a loss for them to, like, make the decision in the ring. And I feel like it's kind of, you know, spurred of the moment, you know, when they do that, and, and it's tough. But he actually won the fight and took care of business right there. So shout out to Robbie Lawler, excellent career. That That's to say the most. And like I said, from all the fights that I was seeing, he was just going up and down. And some fights he would have the momentum and just lose the fight late. And it's like, oh, man, do you still have it? And I guess they they, they made up his mind, and this was going to be the last one. And, and he just like you said, this is an epic storybook ending uh, by winning by a big knockout, and, and I appreciate it. I, I can't even get mad at the way that this went down. This was an electric night. Uh, fight fight world, from boxing to UFC, MMA, I, I definitely got to give my credit to that. Okay, um... Quick situation. I want to do the NBA quick. Your thoughts on how the summer league has been going down so far? Um, I want to ask you one question. You may get mad at me, Mike, but I'm going to do it anyway. I really feel like, and I've told, and I was staying here probably with you. If not, I said I know I said it in the cookout. Please leave Victor Wimbiamba alone, please. Because then if he falls on his face, it's going to be, oh, he's overrated, so on and so forth, this, that, and the third. It was the first game. It was against Charlotte. And everybody he tried to defend or they did what they wanted to do, they were taking care of business up against the number one pick, the unicorn, so on and so forth, seven-foot-four guy. And he looked lost playing the American game. These guys all wanted him, from Brandon Miller to Kai Jones, dunking on him real bad, sending him flying into the first row. They were doing what they wanted to do with Victor Wimbiamba. Please, I get it. These guys, you could put all of the hype around them. If they fall early, then what? If they fall throughout their career early, like, 
what happens? Like, let these guys go out there and play and try to flourish as best as they can. You guys are putting a bullseye on his forehead, his shoulders, his chest, his back, his legs, everything he does. If he fouls or misses a shot, everybody, he had nine points. And two two buckets were in one. So he had an and one three, four-point play, and he did an and one bank shot. That's seven points. Then he had another two points on the floor. He basically did nothing in the game. I, I was not impressed out of the first game out the gate for Victor Wimbiamba. Uh Mike, your thoughts on his approach? basically uh, in this game against Charlotte, and do you feel like I'm jumping the gun? It's early. That's what I'm just saying. Like, please let him go out there and play. That's, that's all I want. Lil Boosie released a song years ago, saying, wake up, wake up, wake up and smell the coffee. Listen, they, uh, the American game is different, dog. Like, the athleticism that you're going to have to deal with uh, is different than what you play with over in France and other places. Now, uh, you know he is going to have that bullseye on him. And and he's going to take some lumps, just like every kid does when they first come into the league. Uh, all I'm going to say is, like, if he is anywhere close to what people think he could be, they better get it in now because payback's going to be, you know, what on the other side of it. Now, uh, you know, is it possible that he turns out to be an overhyped guy that never lives up to it? Sure. Uh, but what I will say is, let's pump the brakes right now. And this is the best talent we've seen in in 20 years since LeBron James and uh, Unicorn and all this. Like, let's not anoint this guy, the new basketball savior and all this kind of stuff. We already got old man Popovich, who just signed a five-year deal yesterday to stay with San Antonio as the club president and coach. Now he can step down as a coach before that time is out. But, you know, basically Popovich believes in him enough that he's going to stay with the Spurs until he's damn near 80. So we will see if everybody's right but or who's right and who's wrong. That being said, I'm not surprised that he took some lumps and the people are going to go right at him. You ain't got nothing to lose in some of these. Right, so you may as well, uh, you know, just let it fly and see where the chips fall. And this just tells you that uh, Victor's got a lot to learn and some strides to make in order to uh, come anywhere close to living up to the height. I I personally don't know uh, what his ceiling is or what he can be, uh, but what I do know is uh, I'm a little – I haven't boarded this hype train that wants to call him the next generational talent. Now, maybe if he does start to realize that, you know, they might stop and let me get on. Otherwise, that's just a train I'm going to miss. I mean, I think the guy technically, I mean, he does have skills. He's got basketball skills. uh, But can they translate between the lines? I think we will see. I think he's going to take some lumps over the next couple of years to figure it out. I mean, just like a lot of people, young players do. Uh, but, you know, how does he it, – it's almost like the lessons of life. How many times you heard people say, T.P., man, it's not how many times you get knocked down, but it's how many times you get back up and what you do when you do get back up. So, I mean, you know, lots of time to prove it one way or another. But uh, first impressions are not favorable for sure. Yeah, and, and 
here's the one thing that well, no, it's a couple of things, but I'm gonna just try and get through it as best as I can. One, the Spurs are not loaded. Like this is this is their summer league team. You're seeing basically all of the talent that they have there now in the summer league. Um, two, the way that he looked when Brandon Miller put him in that the blender and gave him a crossover, he can't defend outside. He's basically gonna be a in paint defender. And three, when they went and attacked the paint, he was letting them get layups. He got dunked on. If he's going up against an athletic team like the Hornets are, he's in trouble. And just to think that he is the big, and, and this is the one thing that bothers me about Chet being in Oklahoma City. He's thin, but he doesn't he doesn't carry weight at all, really. Like, they were able to move him. So um, that's the one thing that I am looking at, and that's the one thing I do. <laughs> I look at Pop surviving off a lot of the monsters that he was able to get out of the draft when he got Tim Duncan out of Wake Forest. He rolled that train until 2017. Once Tim left, look at the Spurs. The Spurs are not the juggernaut that we're used to for the past 20 years from 1997 to 2017. And now that Wimby was here, he's going to give it five more years, and Pop was already pondering retirement two years ago. He didn't know whether the Tim Duncan or Becky Hammer was going to run the team. Now you're going to come back to coach this team after you gave up. After you gave up. So this is – this is going to be, be a very interesting run. And don't forget, Wembyamba is in the Western Conference where it's big man loaded. So they, he's going to deal with monsters every night, every night. This is why I'm like, let him play because all of this expectancy on him is crazy. And everybody tried to weigh the situation when he had a um, – I don't really want to call it practice, but he was playing one-on-one up against Rudy Gobert, and he was giving Rudy work. This goes to show how overrated Rudy Gobert's defense is. He's a shot blocker, not the great defender, because everybody's been able to go in there and attack to him, and he hasn't really impressed since his runs in Utah. we already seen what he did in Minnesota. He's not really impressed, and he's been traded at that also. So you can't weigh what Wimbiamba did to Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert is not a measuring stick, even though they're both taller than 7'3". Like, both of them are tall as ever, but – Whatever. I'm, I, like I said, give him time. I, I, I love and respect what he's able to do and the tools, just like Mike said, he brings to the game. But let him learn the game before he starts getting punished because everybody that come out that locker room, they're going to be licking their chops, ready to go play this guy and do what they can because they know every game is going to be televised and it's a pop-led team that don't have shooters like he used to when Manu, Sean Elliott, uh, uh, Tony Parker, all of the, the guns that he's had. He don't have the guns like he used to anymore. So, this this is gonna be a, a crawl out of the hole to say the least bit out of San Antonio. But right now, just like Mike said, he's gonna have to learn and take his lumps right now on the fly at that, especially in front of everybody because everybody's in Las Vegas. Who don't love Vegas? I'm I'm a big Vegas fan. Like everybody out there, LeBron's out there. Every, every big name in the NBA is out there watching these games, and and they're taking note of what Victor can do and what he can't do. It's gonna be tough every single night. And don't think for a minute that any of these, listen, just about anybody that's coaching this league or players in this league, they either were on teams or coached teams that Popovich whooped up on for all those years uh, that he was good with Duncan and Ginobili and Parker and all those guys. So don't think that there are not coaches and players in this league that like giving Popovich and the San Antonio Spurs work, uh, for sure. And the last thing I'll say about Victor before we move on from that is, in the words of the late, great Denny Green, if you want to crown him, crown him. 
but I'm I'm not uh I'm not I'm not lifting my hand to do it yet. You forgot to let him off the hook. You got to say to let him off the hook. <laughs> but we let him off the hook. <laughs> no, too late, too late. You 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 just aired that out. You got to say that. We let him off the hook. You got to get that. That's when he that's when he punched the tape or not the tape or the the podium. He was mad because Devin Hester got to the house on them. I said I will never forget that. I will never forget that speech. Dennis Green rest your soul. Um. Okay, and, and another quick NBA news. I'm not got to, I'm I'm being selfish. Even though I I don't like talking about my team, I don't. But <laughs> the Thunder are playing excellent ball out there. If you guys have not seen what these guys are doing, whoa! Um, I feel bad because that roster that they have in the summer league, a lot of them are going to probably get spread out through the NBA. This is what I don't like about Sam Presti. He's been drafting like a monster when he does get them in there. But it's like, here, we got a good player. You got a good player. Everybody gets a good player. You are Oprah Winfrey of the doggone NBA. Now this this team is stacked. They got enough to sit Jalen Williams, the one for Santa Clara, out, and they still have enough guards to make this happen. And the Thunder just traded yesterday. Um, well, hold on. Let me get this right. So yesterday was Saturday. Friday they traded for Patty Mills. They got Patty Mills from Brooklyn. Saturday they traded Patty Mills. Uh, for Rudy Gay, Ty Ty Washington, and uh, uh, here goes uh, Sam Presley with another pick. He ended up getting another draft pick out of Atlanta and sending Patty Mills to the Hawks. It's like, what? Okay, so the Thunder probably have like 19 guards, right, including the guards that they do have on the summer league team. All of them can play. We need a big. Chet can't be the only big with the other Jalen Williams. What other big do we have? You got to get big, like we and we're in the Western Conference. Like, how much pressure are you going to put on Chet? Even though Chet has been playing electric in his dog on summer league, he's gained thirteen pounds. To me, it don't look like it, but um, they, he's gained it. You can see it, but it's like you're still thin. Like I, I need another ten. I need, <laughs> I need another ten. I need you to go to the buffet like sixteen more times to put ten more pounds on. But he's stronger. He's been getting to the lane. He's finishing with both hands. And, of course, the block party still going on in OKC. He's blocking people's shots. Y'all coming into the paint. Y'all got to really go get him or make it happen. They've only lost one game, and that was up against the Grizzlies. And I think they're going to continue to struggle against the Grizzlies if they play Kenny Lofton or Kenneth Lofton. Let me say it the right way because he's huge. And that's the one thing that I'm bothered with, Chet, is, like, there's going to be bigger big men that have weight on them, and they're going to be able to do what they want to do down there. But nevertheless, Chet has been sitting out some games too, um, and we, we've been having to earn it as best as they can. But the Thunder have actually been impressive. Uh, Case and Wallace, he didn't even get to practice after getting traded from Dallas to OKC. His first game was played yesterday. He had six threes. These guys were on a three-point shooting barrage yesterday, um, especially going up against Dallas, a team that he was traded from. But, I mean, from from what you've been able to, you know, witness so far, Mike, your thoughts on the summer league in general, if you want to talk about the Thunder or your boys. I know you guys had a tough game up against Miami. If you didn't hear about Jamie Aquez, uh, the way that he, he probably had one of the dunks of the summer league. Uh, Trey Mann from the Thunder had another dunk of the summer league. But it's, it's going down summer league-wise. But your thoughts, summer league, teams, your team, anything that you'd like to grab before we get away from it. No, Trey Mann is a guy I really like, always have. Um, I just – I feel like the Thunder have to 
run these guards out there and hopefully audition these guards to try to move some of them for forwards or for for some size because they don't they don't have it. Uh, I think the for all reports were that the Hawks were going to waive Rudy Gay anyway. So I don't know if they'll keep Mills or not or what happens with that. But the, so it doesn't surprise me that the Hawks uh, put uh, Rudy Gay in a trade. Uh, but that being said, like just looking around, man, it's it's hard to take a lot of stock in the summer league because you know these are just uh, these are two way guys and or some draft pick guys, and so you know some of these guys are going to be on the full roster, some not. Uh, but it's just fun to watch these kids learn and grow, man, like just across the board. Uh, and, you know, Brandon Miller getting a little run. I'm sure maybe like at least for the first time in a while, like he's been able to play without nearly the same kind of scrutiny around him that was uh, back in the spring when all this other stuff was still fresh at, at uh, Alabama. So it's kind of got to be a little bit of a relief for him, but, no, nah, listen, I think uh I think Summer League's always fun. I wanna get out there one year, uh, in the summer in Vegas when it's going on and, and actually be a part of it and just check it out because I feel like it's a real fun environment for, for people in the game. The only thing I don't like about summer league in Vegas is too freaking hot in Las Vegas. That that one that one year I went to Vegas and went to Summer League, oh my goodness. It was hitting 110, 114, and then I'm like, okay, so I'm going to tell you how we usually do it out here. If it's that hot, stay in until that sun drops. I was staying in indoors, not really just in the room, but just staying inside the hotel till 10 o'clock midnight and try to come out at midnight. I'm talking about at 12, 12.01 midnight. It was still 101 degrees outside, 101. The sun was completely gone. I'm like, this, this is – pandemonium like who getting a break that son don't even chill sleeping like so that's the only thing but other than that you you're you're bumping into celebrity after celebrity and plus this was the year after the pandemic so it was like everybody was coming outside and not only everybody out there at the nba but this was the first inaugural season that the raiders were letting fans in and and i went to the the first preseason game in uh allegiant in vegas so that was pandemonium i told you i I damn it turned into a Raider fan how fun that was and they're like they they and I was sitting in the black hole section and they just bring you in like your family no matter what you're doing. It's a good thing I did wear black because if I'd have wore that lion blue I'd have probably been in trouble. But they was like, Yeah, get them drinks, we got them all day. I'm like, Oh really? It's like this. Everybody wearing Bo Jackson jerseys. I'm like, This is incredible. But the summer's electric in Vegas and, and let me tell you, summer league won't disappoint. It's just it's just bad that when I went it was in August Summer League usually takes place in July, so the timing, I'd have to time that out right. But it's a fun thing. Plus, there's games going on on both sides of the Thomas and the Mac, like, because both of those arenas are in the same building. So all you got to do is just walk down the hallway and another game is going. And, you know, they're, they're either in the main uh, arena or in the uh, the smaller gymnasium. But it, it's incredible uh, to be around all of these people nevertheless. And like I said, if LeBron's out there, you know everybody's out there trying to have a good time too, so. It is something to go see. It's definitely worth it. Okay. To get away from this, like I said, we are now at the Midsummer Classic. I don't want to say the middle of the summer. 
Uh, the call-in number is 929-477-2759. Got a little bit of time left in the kitchen. We're going to go to a little baseball because now we are at the middle of the season, and the standings are pretty interesting at this point in time. And please do not talk to T.P. Timeless about his feelings because I'm telling you how to control. Um, and you might know why. So first and foremost, to say the least, I want to check and see how this looks right now because he might be. Yes, he is. So Mr. Harvey's on top of the world right now. He sure is. Okay, so I'm going to start from the top. We'll go to the American League East. The Tampa Bay Rays are no longer the best team in baseball anymore. This is why Mr. Harvey's on top of the world. The Tampa Bay Rays are leading the American League East. They are 57-35. and 35. The Baltimore Orioles are 53-35, and 35, streaking at this doggone time, taking care of business in the Bronx and in the middle of Minneapolis and knocking the Twins around as well. They're two games back. The New York Yankees are 49-41. They're seven games back, tied with the Toronto Blue Jays, 49-41. They're both seven games back, as mentioned. And the Boston Red Sox are 47-43, nine games back. Still the best division in baseball. The Red Sox are on a four-game winning streak as well, and 73 out of their last 10. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on the American League East? Can you hear me? Yeah, Mike? man. So Tampa jumped. <clears throat> my bad. I was talking on mute. Uh, Tampa jumped out early, like we talked about earlier this year. Went thirteen zero. Then in really good shape for a while. I think that Tampa's pitching woes are finally starting to sort of telling them a little bit. Now you got. Uh, Shane McClanahan out for a little uh, a little while too, so we'll have to see what happens uh, with him. Their ace, I mean, he's uh, leading the American League with like an eleven and one record or something stupid right now too. Uh, but he got uh, had to leave his last start early, and then you already had Rasmussen and Springs both uh, out for the year, and they were both looking really good going into the spring as well. So this is three fifths of your starting rotation. Um, out on a team that has small market payroll and is not trying to spend a lot of money. So, and then you got guys like Taj Bradley and other guys trying to fill in. But like I said, Baltimore is now just two games out. When you look at how fast that start was and Tampa really ran off from everybody, uh, the Orioles are closing the gap in a hurry, hurry, right? So uh, looking at, now, Baltimore right there, they're two games out, but they're even in the loss column, which means that, you know, Baltimore can make these up and, and catch them, really. So, uh, we'll see kind of how that continues to evolve. But the American League East looks like it very much could be a race. Uh, New York, the Yankees have split with the Cubs this week. They've been playing a little bit better, but still don't have everybody uh, – Healthy, Carlos Rodon did come back and pitch on Friday. He made his Yankees debut and pitched really well. Former Yankee and Pirate and a couple other teams, Jamison Tyon, uh, had a shutout on Friday night. Yankees bounced back and won twice yesterday. I think Stanton hit two home runs yesterday for them. But, uh, listen, uh, the Yankees still have some work to do. And then uh, Toronto still got to find pitching. Out of all the teams – that I would expect to get no hit. Toronto was not one of those teams. I understand George Springer is on paternity leave right now, so he's out. But the Detroit Tigers threw that combined no-hitter at them yesterday. 
so that was kind of a, a surprise. Toronto is one of the offenses in, in baseball, but I think one of the top four or five most dangerous offenses in the league. So I didn't really expect them to get no hit. But Toronto, man, they're kind of glad to be out of that division. They they lost uh, they lost to the Red Sox multiple times. They really have had trouble with the Red Sox this year. Uh, and so we'll see if they can get out of their own way at some point. And then, you know, like you said, Boston closes it out, but they're still on a little bit of a win streak now. So over 500, as we've talked about multiple times, TP, this is the best division in baseball right now. That is for sure. Everybody is above 500 now to my own house of horror. Um, oh, oh, also, before we do get away from it, the Yankees are not in a good situation right now, um, especially the way that they took it on the chin up against the Orioles. They lost 14-1 to in that house, too, and knowing that they have to chase the Orioles, too. I think the Orioles are healthy and blooming at the right time, especially going into the All-Star break. Hopefully they could keep this momentum. They don't know when Judge is going to come back. They said Judge has actually been talking about uh, if he'll be the same because of the way that that injury is. That ligament is off of his plant foot and they don't know when he's going to be back. There's still no timetable set, but they're trying to rush him back because it's, it's the, I don't need, and it, it sucks that it's like this, that that team plays better when he's in the lineup. And it's like, no, well then bring him to the dugout and let him play. Like you, your batting shouldn't change because he's behind you or in front of you. Like still play baseball. You, you guys still have the advantage of playing in the Bronx. A lot of teams don't play well in New York. Like the twins finally won a series in New York. Like the, no, still go out there and use that mystique to go out there and play. People are catching up to them, and I don't know if it is it's finally the day for the collapse of the Yankees, but, I, I mean, people are no longer scared of them no more. Um, they're not as loaded as, as they used to, even though they do have the name quality there. Um, hey, TP, before we move on, you just hit on that, and, and I'm sorry because I was going to highlight that too. Uh, that four-game series this week, Yankees won the first two, looked like they were gaining some momentum. And then Baltimore scratched out the third one, and then they put a emphatic exclamation point on the split of that series with that 14-1 to drubbing that they handed out on Thursday uh, to really just remind the Yankees, like, yeah, you know, y'all might have got the first two games, but we pulled even in this series, and you guys are looking up at us. And this is not an extremely rich farm system right now either, as they brought a lot of these young guys up. Uh, th- there's going to be a lot of que- if this team doesn't get any higher than third place, there are going to be a lot of questions to be answered in this off season, and I would not be surprised if I would not be surprised to see some movement either in the front office or on the field or both with this team in the off season with Cashman Boone or uh, some pe- some higher ups in this organization. You said in the off season. I think it still may happen before the deadline. Um, they are not pleased with what Josh Donaldson has been able to do, even though Boone and him try to make up the situation. And um, the one thing about it is, it's like, of course, I live in Yankee Empire out here in the tri-state area. One of the people that I actually work with says the Yankees will still make the playoffs as the second wild card team. This is a very interesting standpoint because there's teams that are they're tied with the, the Blue Jays right now, and the Blue Jays are trying to turn this thing around too. So we don't know who it can be. I just know that it won't be out of this dog on AL Central. 
And nevertheless, the Red Sox are right behind them too. They're only two games back, and you know how their rivalry goes. And I think Boston has the edge in the the, the uh, matchup so far this season too. So the Yankees have their work cut out for them if they want to even see the postseason this year. And they are begging for Aaron Judge to get back, hurt or not. And that and that's I don't feel like that's fair. But the one thing I <laughs> I respect the word called karma. Boy, do I respect it. Y'all sat up there and threw all of that money at Aaron Judge. Now look at what's going on right now. Um, I, I can't wait to talk about an interesting karma when I get to another two divisions from here right now. I want to ask you the same question that I asked the guy at my job as well, um, and he actually agreed with me. But I want to see how you feel about this karma. It's gonna, this is going to shock you. The next one, like I said, is my own little house of horror, a.k.a. the AL Central. The Cleveland Guardians have now caught up to the Twins just because of games played, but they are in first place. They are 45 and 44 in first place. The Twins are half a game back, 45 and 45. They have lost their last two spanning between the start of this series in, again, in Minnesota up against Baltimore. The Detroit Tigers are 39 and 49, five and a half back. The Chicago White Sox are 38 and 53, eight games back. And the White Sox are 25 and 65. Um, basically borderline worst team in baseball, 20 and a half games back on a six-game losing streak. Uh, Mike, your thoughts on the AL Central at this point in time? Yeah, Kansas City's been a lot worse than I expected them to be. They're only two games better than the Oakland A's right now. Um, Chicago, man, Chicago's going to tear it down. I feel like if you're not named Luis Robert, or maybe Dylan Cease, uh, you may be trading. <laughs> you might be getting sent out of there. Uh, I I would keep Andrew Vaughn, and I would probably uh, try try to keep at least one or two other guys. But I think Chicago is going to have to break this thing down at some point. Detroit still a year or two away, but they're getting a lot of their. Uh, they got Edmund Rodriguez back, but they got Tariq Skubal back, who had a scoreless outing last time out. He's pitching again today. Matt Manning came back and was part of that combined no hitter that they threw yesterday. So Detroit's getting a lot of those young pitchers back. Uh, look to see if Edwin Rodriguez can put together a couple of good starts uh, before the deadline. If they maybe try to trade him, and then see what they're going to do and and free agency if they're going to try to bring a veteran one or two in to go with this young talent. But there's a lot of young talent in Detroit. They may, like I said, still be a year or two away. Uh, but it's got to be at least a little encouraging to be getting these young arms back. Now, Minnesota and Cleveland, the two at the top of this division, uh, at the end of the day, uh, I think that this is going to be a race that comes down to to the end of the year. Uh, Minnesota still got you know got some things to continue to work on. I thought Bailey Ober pitched well uh, his last time out. You know the the Friday game was three to one. They lost yesterday six to two. A former Minnesota Twin on the mound for Baltimore uh, yesterday won that game. Um, you know to me, if Minnesota wins today, they at least break even because I think they dropped two out of three last weekend to Baltimore. So, I mean, I think they won two out of three last weekend from Baltimore uh, in Maryland. And so they got a chance to at least 
uh, even their season series with Baltimore. Uh, this Minnesota team can play with anybody. Uh, the the question is, can they get can they get healthy and keep people on the field? Uh, you know, I, I look around baseball and I, I think I counted the other day nine former Twins that are on either uh, teams with winning records or teams that are in the playoff picture right now. Uh, I will tell you, I still think at the end of the day. Uh, at some point, there's going to be a lot of questions that need to be answered by Minnesota's front office. Uh, now, we'll see in the next couple of years if some more of these kids come up. You know, maybe big picture it ends up really working out for them. Uh, but I want to see Minnesota cut down the strikeouts a little bit, and I want to see them uh, be able to keep Joe Ryan, Ober, and Maeda, and, and those guys healthy and on the mound so they can really make a run at this thing. Because I believe offensively they're probably more talented than Cleveland. And Cleveland has Shane Bieber, but they still, uh, if they get him back, it's going to be very late, but they've lost Tristan McKenzie, their second-best pitcher. Uh, They've been relying on a lot of young, young arms to try to come up and pitch. Uh, Cleveland can be had this year, and I think Minnesota can still get him, but it's it's going to be interesting to see. I I think that this seat at the table come playoff time in October will be occupied by either Minnesota or Cleveland. And I expect it to still be in question coming into the last week of the season. I'm going to do this here now since we are at the middle of the MLB season. I'm not going to hide it any longer. I've been trying to be the good fan that I can be and supportive as ever. I do as much as I can from where I am. Um, First and foremost, I don't even know how to start from the top or start from the bottom, but I'll start from the top. Um, I hope there is somebody in the organization or in that dugout clubhouse that's been around Rocco Baldelli. Rocco Baldelli is no longer the manager of that team. I feel like he's lost that team trying to analytically be the skipper of this team instead of letting these guys ride out the storm. Um, There's games where these guys could be on a streak, like Joey Gallo starts mashing the ball and you sit him. It's like, what? So now he has to get his streak out of nowhere? Like you're just going to pull him out? and just start letting them swing the bat again, like, this is incredible that you sit him and then put in a random person. Like, even though Castro's been hitting the ball well, like, Castro's doing good, but him or Gallo? Who are you trying to keep here? Like, like I don't I don't get it. Then it'll be players that are doing good in the game. You just pull them. Kyle Farmer is one of the best batters in the team. Pulled him in the middle of the game. Lost the game. Three to one up against the Orioles the first game. Like, Farmer is a batter we needed to play. I could care less if analytically this isn't the right time to pull him. Let these guys play. They're professional players. Like, it's enough of you looking at a book or Google to try to skip this team. This is crazy. Like, Rocco Baldelli, I get it. You are a fan favorite. I know that you've been fighting your own battles in your life, so on and so forth. We get it. Let these guys play ball, especially the way that you pull these pitchers out always in the sixth inning, and then bringing the rotation. If these guys aren't getting it done, you're not getting run production either. These dudes will lose the game late, and this will be at home. You, something has to give. Rocco, I, I feel like if they keep you after this season, next year is your show. Like, you got to prove it to everybody that this is where you belong, or they're going to have to cut you. As much as I don't want to see it done because you're a New England guy, born in the same year, born in 1981 as well, like, I want to see you get it done. The story that you had is incredible for you 
you know, fighting, like I said, your battle and, and trying to come over here and, and they couldn't let you play baseball anymore. I want to see you get it done. But you basically crumbled his team after that, that bomba season after they led the league in home runs hit most ever. And uh, it doesn't look like you have that. And I really feel like he may have lost the locker room. A lot of these guys have lost their aura morale at the plate. Like Buxton is not hitting like he used to. Like, uh, I really feel like they do need to put Buxton in the field, but they can't because he's not been able to stay healthy. You're juggling this lineup, and, and what are you going to do with Kepler? Are you going to trade him or keep him? Now Kepler's been hitting the ball well. It's like, okay, now he's back to striking out. If you can't get runs out of nobody, what what's going on? You're putting all over the place. You brought Julian back into the lineup. Julian hit a home run. You put him back in the game. Kyle Farmer. Farmer's actually trying to make a name for himself in the lineup. Where did consistency come? When when do you get Jorge Polanco back into this thing? There's so many questions to answer with this Twins team. It is erratic on the way that this is running. And, oh, to ice the cake, as much as I like the name, I like the name, um, Sonny Gray got some questions to answer. Do you know that Sonny Gray has not had a win decision since April? Since yeah, April, he has been he has been getting good, but... slapped around May, June, and the beginning of July, and even yesterday, Sonny Gray gave up six runs in the game in an inning, in an inning, and he said, "Oh, one bad inning turned the game." It's like Sonny, no, and and, he, and, and I follow every media gent, uh, you know, network that they can be. Sonny, stop trying to entertain these people coming in there with a cutoff sleeve and making it look like you're the cool guy. No, because you're going to end up being the, the uh, topic of discussion on the name that they move because right now it is just like Mike said. My hate is making his way back and being a monster pigeon. Bailey Ober is an impressive rookie out of the gate, and Joe Ryan's been fighting up and down, and thank goodness Lopez pulled off a win because Lopez has now been accepted into the All-Star game too, so I'm happy that that happened, but he's not been able to get the run support. The Twins have to get run support. This is horrible that you guys keep losing games with one run on the board. Like, like, stop this. Stop this. It looks bad that you guys had – you should be killing this division, and you're fighting with the Guardians that have to <laughs> get to 500. They hold on to the division lead. This is incredible. I could, I could talk about the Twins for the rest of the show. Okay, the uh, AL West. I'll be honest with you before we switch divisions real quick. I don't know how much of these lineups and these decisions are Rocco's and are coming from upstairs uh, because we've, we've seen lots of things where now in baseball uh, managers are taking a lot of direction from front office on what they want the lineups to look like and whatever else. And so I'm not saying that there's not some blame for Rocco there, but I still think at the end of the day, the biggest blame for the twins has to lie with the general manager. And and with baseball operations, I I don't think Derek Favre is pulling any of those triggers on what he's doing. Um, if so, he wouldn't have had a lot of these names come there. Like this is the guy that they brought Joey Gallo in, and they're still pondering if they do if they could go and get uh Nelson Cruz because Nelson Cruz just got DFA'd by the Padres. Like like I don't get that. Like if he's trying to help him, he's trying to bring another gun back here when Nelson Cruz didn't have a bad stint with the Twins. He was actually hitting 40 home runs here. Like, they trying to bring him back. I, and I don't think it's a situation of just getting him to DH because if that's the case, then you get end up sitting Buxton because Buxton's the DH. Buxton's not even playing the field. 
So I, I I don't think that it's, it's anybody up there. This is Rocco. Rocco does a lot of this decision-making mid-game. Mid-game. It, it don't be something that he starts the game with unless he's pulling Joey Gallo in and out of the lineup and Joey Gallo leads the team in home runs. How do you how do you pull your, your hottest big hitter out of the lineup? Like, I don't – that's like us pulling – Nelson Cruz out of that lineup. Like, I don't – when Nelson Cruz had the 40 home run season, you're going to pull him out? Like, that, ridiculous. Like, like you can't you can't do that. There's no need for that. Rocco is – I really feel like he lost the morale of this team. They got a lot of work to do. Prove it to me that you guys are in the discussion in late September going into October. Right now, you should not be – neck and neck with the Cleveland Guardians, and they are barely 500. They're a, half, they're a game above 500. And they're, they're, they're doing this because they are up against the Royals, and we just survived the series up against the Royals, taking care of business up against them. It felt like it was all back, but it's the doggone Kansas City Royals. Everybody's getting their lumps. The, the Royals are on a six-game losing streak, three to the Twins, three to the Guardians. You do the math. Um, like I said, the AL West is the next division. Um we have the Texas Rangers who are still atop the division. They are 52 and 38. The Houston Astros are 50 and 42 games back. The Seattle Mariners, the hosts of the All-Star game, they're 44 and 44 sitting at 507 games back. The Los Angeles Angels, 45 and 46. They are now below 500, seven and a half games back. In the saddest story in baseball, the Oakland Athletics. 25 and 66, worst team in baseball, 27 and a half games back. They are only the worst team in baseball by a game. So it is not that bad. Now, Mike, your thoughts on the LS, but before you do that, this is where I have the question of karma, like I said before. I said about Judge getting $400 million, right? If you were the GM in Los Angeles, would you trade Mike Trout to keep Shohei Otani? And then please talk about the AL West. So, yes, I would trade Mike Trout to keep Shohei Otani, but that is not what they are going to do. Um, a still sad story, as you said, uh, Seattle starting to, and I'm saving the Angels for last because I'm gonna I'm gonna hit them in a second. Uh, Seattle starting to climb out of it a little bit. I talked about this last week, uh, and on uh, Roundtable Gumbo on Thursday night. Seattle was a really good second half team last year and got really hot down the stretch. Uh, they are not out of shouting distance yet in this um, in this division. I don't know if they can win it, but they can still get themselves into wild card discussions, and who knows. Uh, listen, with all the injuries that they've had and all the pieces that they've missed, the Houston Astros are only two games back now. Look out, Texas. They're right behind you and gaining fast. Uh, they just won a series from uh, the Rangers a week ago. Houston's not intimidated by this Texas offense. And uh, Houston is going to be in this race. Um, until the end. Like I said, they, they've really closed the gap, and they're right in the rear view uh, of the Texas Rangers. And it's crazy. It's only happened two other times in the history of the game, or three other times, I think, in the history of the game, that the Texas Rangers have five offensive all-star game starters. That's crazy to me. The catcher, Jonah Hines, 
Uh, Adolis Garcia has now been uh, called up, um, named as a replacement starter. Uh, Adolis Garcia and Austin Hayes to replace Judge and Trout. And so you got Adolis Garcia in the outfield, high behind the plate, Seager and Simeon in the middle infield, and Josh Young at third base. You got Rangers all over the field. That's why I jokingly said that this weekend uh, the Rangers in Washington was like the American All-Star team visits uh, D.C. Uh, so, but the Rangers offensively are really good. Uh, Dane Dunning's been pitching well. Can they get enough pitching uh, behind them uh, to make this work? I think that's a team that's still going to make a move for pitching at some point um, in the second half of the season. Now, I believe that I would trade Trout to keep Otani. However, I think that probably what they need to do, because here's the deal. If you trade Trout to keep Otani for the money purposes, I still don't know that you are going to have a product that is satisfactory for Shohei Otani to stay with the Angels. So I think there's a possibility that you could trade Trout in an effort to try to keep Otani, and then Otani end up walking away as well. I think Shohei Otani is gone in this offseason, and I think he likes the Angels in the laid-back environment, but he said a couple years ago, and he said it again around the World Baseball Classic, Otani wants to win, and he wants to be on baseball's biggest stage. Uh, Shohei Otani is not going to be able to do that with the Angels. If you really look at it, uh, the the contracts that were given to him, Trout, and Anthony Rendon, who just fouled another ball off his leg and is going to miss another chunk of time, Anthony Rendon has 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 missed more games and missed more time than Anthony Davis in purple and gold by a long shot. And that's saying something. Uh, Anthony Rendon is may, maybe has played as many games as Zion Williamson over the last three years. Uh, he has, he's got so much talent, but he's unable to put it on display. But the Angels gave him a huge, huge contract a, a couple of years ago, and that's not one they're going to be able to get out from under. So as bad as I hate to say it, TP, uh, I thought maybe they needed to hold out and see what they can put together and what they can do. But now that you got Trout out for at least the next month, and depending on how that hand heals, and we just talked about this team on a high last week, how they were four or five games under over 500. This team has lost nine out of their last ten games. They do not look the same without all their guns in that lineup. They're already under 500 again. I really believe that in order to try to eventually get back to being a winning franchise, you've got to trade Otani now and get back whatever you can get back for him. Uh, Because otherwise you just continue to spin your wheels. This is a team that does not have a lot of depth in the farm system. They do not have a lot to look forward to in the future based on what's in their system right now. So they have to do something to change it up. And so I, I, was, I know we talked about this with breaking news, Brian Hughes, a month and a half ago or something, but I think it's time, man. I, I think during the All-Star break, 
uh, the Angels front office needs to start quietly making some overtures on what teams might be willing to give them for Shohei Otani. That is what my coworker said, that he agreed with me to trade Trout to keep Shohei. Um, the reason why I say to trade Trout is because you can fill that lineup the best way you can. There's no support on that lineup. To bring in as many people that you can to fill that team in as best as possible, that's a lot of money that you've invested in the Trout, and Trout has been hurt every single season since, or even before that contract came. Like, he's just great at baseball, and he's a great guy, and you love him. Like, I'll I, I just speak for me. I'm a, I'm a Trout fan. But it's no longer you could have that Angel team sit there handicapped to him, waiting for him to come back off of injury every single year. And now, look, without him in the lineup, they're below 500, going right back to where they want to be. I agree with Mike that Shohei wants to be on a team that wins. But if they're going to bring in more pieces – to help out, you can actually watch Trout go, even though he's from the New Jersey area. I don't want to see him on the Yankees and put him on the Mets or something. I don't know. Or Baltimore. Let him be close to home. But try to fill in that team as best as you can because you do not want to be the team responsible for losing Shohei Otani because you were not able to fill that roster. If that's the case, then contract the team. Get him out of Anaheim and let, him, let some other team, let some other sports city in America deal with him because you guys are not invested in trying to bring a winner there to Anaheim. No no way, no how. And one of my brothers that I met in the past couple of years lives two, three blocks away from it in Groove, live right there. As soon as you pull out of the driveway, you're right by Disneyland and Angel Stadium right there. It's like, come on, they don't even go to the game, and they live right there. Like, you don't, you don't, you're not even pulling fans in. If you watch the Angel game, there's nobody there, none. So – Bring something in so people could watch this team win like you guys did 21 years ago in 2002. Or if not, then lose it. Then lose it. Are you going to invest all your money in the Trout and watch Trout be hurt year after year while he's aging year after year? Like, no. And show he's the young gun up here competing with Judge. Like, you have an attraction right there in the middle of Disney. There's so much there for you guys to make this thing happen. There's, there's, there's no excuse. Trout has to go. And I don't even say this happily. Like, I, it hurts me. It pains me to say that, that Mike Trout has to leave Anaheim, his home, his home and Centerfield is his home. Like, no, no, it, it, it's not working. It's not, unless you find a way to fill that team. Okay, so the I'm going to do this. Because with I can, go ahead. With him hurt right now, you're not getting any immediate returns on that, and you still don't know when that bone's going to heal, and so he's not even going to be back before that deadline's over. That's why I think they're going to try to show her. In the words of so many different singers and boys and men, it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. Okay, so I'll start from the bottom up. The NL West, the Arizona Diamondbacks are 52-38, and 38, sitting at the top of the division. They are half a game ahead of the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Dodgers are 51-38. and 38. The San Francisco Giants are 48-41, and 41, three and a half back. The Padres are 42-47, nine and a half back. And the Rockies are 34 and 56, 18 games back. This is interesting at the top of the NL West with the Dodgers getting back into the the rearview mirror of the Diamondbacks, where the Diamondbacks are holding on. They are still taking care of business out west. Mike, your thoughts on what these teams have put together at the halfway point? Diamondbacks survived a scare. Carroll with a shoulder thing, but he was able to bounce back. They have. Uh, they, you know, listen, the Dodgers are right behind them now. Half a game. I expect the Dodgers to make a move for pitching. 
But let's not kid ourselves. They might have some old, some veteran guys and some other guys that filled out the bottom of the lineup. But the reason why the Dodgers are here, Mookie Betts has 23 home runs, including like 10 leadoff home runs this year or something crazy. Max Muncy may not be hitting his weight, but he's still got 21 home runs and 50-something RBIs. J.D. Martinez is experiencing a renaissance in his career out in L.A. He's over 20 home runs and 60 RBIs as well. Uh, Freddie Freeman doing his thing as well uh, in the tops of the National League, in the top five in most offensive categories, and then Will Smith's the truth behind the plate. So those five sluggers are really, really helping keep the Dodgers in this thing. I expect them to be very active at the trade deadline and try to go get pitching, uh, maybe even a reliever to go along with a starter or two. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what this team does. But as good as the Diamondbacks have been, you've still got these guys lurking right in the rear view. Uh, Giants still competing, still right there, only three and a half out. You know, you can fix that in a good week. Uh, this team is – the Giants organization do a really good job of maximizing their talent. And and they're doing that again with platoons and now bringing up some kids to supplement that roster. Uh, San Diego kind of splitting with the Mets this weekend. Uh, today's the rubber game and the uh, extremely high payrolls, but disappointing results on the field. But either one of those two teams, uh, the Padres could still get hot with a run. But watch out for whether or not they trade a couple guys, man. Uh, Blake Snell in like his last six starts has had something like 53 innings pitched. I think he's only given up uh, four or five runs, and he's got like uh, I want to say 23 or 24 walks and almost 80 strikeouts. So uh, he's really been dealing again. Uh, this is a guy that if the Padres decide they're out of it, his contract is up at the end of this year. So that's a guy that I'll be curious to see. Um, if they hold on to or trade. San Diego's got a lot of of questions to answer because they got a lot tied up in Tatis and Soto and Machado. So what do they do to try to make this thing work or do they, you know, end up shipping some guys off? I would be curious to see uh, how many different offers people try to give them to see if they can pry, pry Blake Snell away because he is really starting to look like Vintage Blake Snow uh, pitched really well yesterday, but this division is going to be fun to watch. You got three teams in the race, and San Diego can't be counted out yet as far as whether or not they can find a way to get into that wild card picture. But uh, you know, Colorado is just Colorado, worst team in the National League right now. I think San Diego's out of that wild card picture. There's a lot of teams ahead of them at this point in time, um, especially the way the NL Central is looking. Um, if you are not watching what Cincinnati is doing, they have turned into one of America's favorite teams right now, the way that they've been able to storm back in this discussion. They are sitting at 50 and 40 atop the NL Central. And this thing is like lottery balls. You don't know who's going to sit at the top of this division. It just could just pop up out of nowhere. The Brewers are back in second place, 48 and 42, two games back. The Cubs are now back in the discussion, 41 and 47, eight games back. Had an interesting go-round with the Yankees, nevertheless. The Pirates, they're 40 and 49, nine and a half games back just about a month ago. These guys were a top 
the division. They are nine games below 500. And the Cardinals are 37 and 52, 12 and a half games back. They're at least getting closer to the Pirates. So they're trying to make this interesting, especially the way that this past week has gone with them, uh, pulling off some interesting wins. But they are four and six out of the last 10. I don't know what St. Louis is going to do, but hopefully they can get their name back in the discussion. Mike, your thoughts with the NL Central at this point in time? The St. Louis Cardinals are just as close to the Colorado Rockies, who are the worst team in the National League, as they are to fourth place, the Pittsburgh Pirates in their division. Um, That's bad uh, for this team. To me, St. Louis has to – there's a lot of good St. Louis players that they gave up on or that they traded because they believed in some of the guys that they're running out there every day right now. You got Randy Rosarena in in Tampa, and then you got Adolis Garcia in Texas, and these guys are putting up all kinds of numbers. And these guys are all stars, all star caliber guys that St. Louis let go. They also let go of Sandy Alcantara, who was the Cy Young Award winner last year. Zach Gallen was also traded. And now he's uh, a candidate to start the All-Star game, pitching for Arizona. Uh, St. Louis has let a lot of guys go because they believed in guys like Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson. Uh, now you got Lars Dupar. You got a crowded outfield. You got Jordan Walker, who you're not sure where he's going to play. Uh, it, you don't know what the lineup's going to look like every day. And you got a lot of kids. To me, if you're St. Louis – they need to decide, okay, who are the guys that are for sure going to be part of our future, and who do we want to run out there every day for the next two and a half months to allow them the best opportunity that we can give them to develop and really figure out what we have in these guys at a major league level. But to me, like once you define who those guys are, anybody else should be fair game for this team to trade. Uh, this is a team that I don't think uh, is going to be able to get back into this division. I don't think they're going to be able to – I mean, look, there's 16 games uh, behind Cincinnati right now. At, or not 16, but what, 13 games behind Cincinnati. they got 37 wins, and Cincinnati's got 50. So, yeah, this is a big uphill battle for them. Uh, the Pirates still competing, but – you know, over the course of the season, the cream rises to the top and the you-know-what floats to the bottom. And I think that's kind of what's happened with the Pirates, but they do have some good young players on this team, and they're going to get the first overall pick today in the draft. So we'll see uh, which direction they go with that. Cubs just lost Nancy Swanson to the uh, IL. But once again, this is a team that has been competitive. Like I said earlier, split with the Yankees. So we'll see. Uh, Milwaukee, you know, they, they've they had some injuries, but they're right there. They're two games back. But this Cincinnati team is, like you said earlier, something to watch. It, it's not just Ellie De La Cruz, who, by the way, stole second, third, and home in the same inning yesterday. He stole second. He stole third. The throwback to the pitcher. The pitcher kind of walked off the mound for a second. Ellie Van Cruz just kind of crept down the line and just put his head down and took off. 
finally, when the pitcher realized what was going on, tried to throw the ball home, it was too late. Uh, so he stole second, third, and home. This kid has already got 16 stolen bases. He's barely been up a month. Um, but it's not just him, man. It's Matt McClain. It's Spencer Steer, who they got from the Twins in the Tyler Malley deal. It's, uh, you know, Joey Votto coming back and giving him some punch. I mean, this, this team is is really tough offensively. They got a lot of good young arms. Uh, I, I'm not sure if they can pitch enough to really be a serious, serious postseason contender. But I think they can pitch enough to get out of this division and at least be there in October. And even if they don't have the pitching to contend this year, uh, these kids can get some valuable experience that will really help them in years to come. The future is very, very bright. Cincinnati Reds fans are going to have to start wearing some shades, bro. Yeah, for now, like I said, they are the story right now. Envy's water, tell the truth. Okay, so I have to save the best for last. And that is for Mr. Harvey and his boys, the best team in baseball. These guys are now sitting at 60 and 28. They just broke a major league baseball record with home runs hit at this point in time in the season. The Miami Marlins are 52 and 39. Every time I see them do good, I'm just gritting my teeth. Uh, They are nine and a half back. The Philadelphia Phillies are 48 and 40, 12 games back. The Mets are 42 and 47. 18 and a half games back, and Mike, you were wrong. The Washington Nationals are 35 and 54, 25 and a half games back. They are the second worst team in National League baseball, not the Cardinals. The it's Cardinals Colorado. are better. It's Colorado's. It's Colorado that's the worst. Colorado's the worst. The Nationals are second worst. The Cardinals are third. You said the Cardinals were second. No, no, no. Your I said thought- the Cardinals were just as close. Were just as close to the worst team as they were to the Pirates. Three games uh, on either end. That's what I said. But that means the Nationals would be there. The Nationals are second. The Nationals are right there. Thirty-four and thirty-six is the Colorado Rockies. Thirty-five and fifty-four. Thirty-seven and fifty-two. So the Cardinals are not <laughs> where they are. Hey, you, you're trying. You're trying. <laughs> You trying to escape? No, no, no. You sit right there. I did not say the second worst team. I said they were close. Well, you roll the tape back. You roll the tape back. After after we finish, you roll the tape back, and and, and we'll figure that out. But as mentioned, the Nationals have the second worst record in National League baseball. Um, The Cardinals, I'm I'm saving you, St. Louis. I'm I'm good in St. Louis. I hope I'm good in St. Louis. I know y'all are dangerous city. Um. But like I said, Mr. Harvey and his boys are on top of the world right now, best team in baseball. Um, Luis Arias and these these Marlins are doing great out there in Miami. Uh, They just pulled the interesting walk-off the other day. If you didn't see it, uh, an infielder threw the ball completely over the first baseman's head, and they won that way in that form where they literally could have got out of the inning, and they didn't. Um, The Phillies, like I said at the beginning of the show, like Philadelphia has definitely been able to put some teams out there that can give them something to cheer about. Can they get out of the middle of the pack in the NL East? East? I don't know, but Harper just got injured, so this is an interesting thing. And that's the one thing. Harper, to me, is almost like a a 2.0 of Mike Trout. As much as you want to see him go out there and clobber the ball and play the game as reckless as he does, he continues to get hurt. And it's happening at the plate. Like, something's always happening to him at the plate. I wonder if these pitchers are in a little committee trying to do something to him. And, um... 
Then, man, I, I, like I said, I live out here. I just hope they can get out of this, this little funk that they got, especially all the money that they spent. But, Mike, your thoughts on the NL East uh, as a whole, from top to bottom? I'll start with the Nationals. I think, once again, as I say, most weeks, I think they're just kind of giving guys a chance to do some on-the-job training and see if, uh, you know, who's going to be part of their future uh, moving forward. I'm impressed with what I've seen from Mackenzie Gore this year, uh, Josiah Gray. Uh, they got some decent young pitching, um, and they got some decent position players on that team. Uh, Lane Thomas from the Nationals, another Cardinal that they let go. Uh, as far as the Mets, you know, like I said, Mets and the Padres sitting there with the same record. Uh the Mets have been playing better. They losing last night. I think they they lost, broke a five game winning streak, so they're still five one five out of their last six. They did sweep a series in Arizona earlier this week, which was very good for the Mets. Uh, Scherzer's looked a little bit better uh, the last couple of times he's been out. Berlander has shown flashes. He kind of gritted through his last performance, but still, uh, you know, got six innings with uh, a three run baseball. So. Uh, you know, this is an interesting thing with the Mets because it's starting to become really urgent, just like we talked about earlier with San Diego. If the Mets don't really get crazy hot over the next couple of weeks, I think anybody not named Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, Francisco Alvarez, or Brandon Nimmo, maybe Justin Berlander, could be on their way out of there. I, I think the Mets will at least – have some exploratory conversations to see if people have interest in guys like Starling Marte and Mark Canha and Tommy Pham and Jeff McNeil and a lot of these guys, man. I, I think you're going to see them decide to sort of break this down a little bit and, and reset with some of the big contracts they already have. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see the Mets have got to get hot if if they don't I think you're going to start seeing them trade guys, uh, except for guys that they think are part of their fabric moving forward. And as much as he did to turn around this team last year, I think that uh, Buck Showalter could be in a little bit of trouble as well in New York. Uh, Listen, Philly and the Marlins playing this week, basically for second place in the NL East. They've split, so that rubber game is today. The Braves have really jumped out on these guys, man. Like, I think that there's a very good chance, though, that the second and third place teams could very well be two of the three wild card teams with one coming out of the West. But we'll see. There's uh, plenty of time to kind of see how this uh, thing shakes out uh, come playoff time. But I think that you could see both of those teams uh, in the playoffs in October. And the the crazy part about it is, TP, the Marlins and the Phillies both played really good ball for the entire month of June. Uh, the the Braves just played a little bit better, and so they weren't able to really make up any games in the standings. You look record-wise, they would be right there in some of these other divisions. Uh, the Braves just, man, 60 wins, uh, 60 and 28 right now. They're on a pace to win to break their uh, all-time single-season wins record right now, they're on a pace to win about 110 games. I don't think that that's going to happen, and they're going to be able to – I don't think they're going to keep hitting home runs at this crazy clip. I mean, this team hit 61 home runs in the month of June, already taken off so far in this month. They got like 180-some-odd home runs or something ridiculous right now. 
um, as a team. So they're mashing. They have found a way to overcome injuries to their pitching staff. Kyle Wright, who was in the Cy Young, finished second or third in the Cy Young voting last year, has been out a big chunk of this season. Max Fried's been out a chunk of this season. But then what happens, man? A kid like Bryce Elder steps in. He didn't even start the season on the Major League roster. He's leading the all the Major League Baseball right now in ERA. Um, and then the other thing I will say is this division has flexed its muscle this week. Uh, you had uh, Marlins taking care of business during the week. You had the Mets go in and win three from Arizona. Now they got a chance to win a series in San Diego. Philly went in and won three from Tampa. Now the Braves have gone in there and won two more. So that division is making a good showing of itself going into the All-Star break. You got eight Atlanta Braves going to the All-Star game. Uh, now you got, uh, let's see, three of them as starters. And maybe Spencer Strider is a starting pitcher. We'll see. But, I mean, ain't much else to be to be said right now. The, the Braves are sitting uh, – Sitting pretty right now, and can't really complain about about what's going on in Atlanta right now. They just, man, they're they're punishing pitching right now, and and they're finding a way to win most close games. So, uh, you know, the tide's gonna turn some. There's ebbs and flows with every baseball season, but I'm, I'm gonna ride this high as long as they're giving it to me. Okay, so. That pretty much wraps up all of the MLB. Like I just mentioned earlier in the show, we are now at the All-Star break. Um, I really feel like one of my favorite spectacles, the home run derby kind of lost his luster, even though I do love to just see him start knocking stuff out of the park. <clears throat> and last year, the way the All-Star game went, they robbed my boy. We The AL beat the NL by one run, and guess who won the game? Byron Buxton off of a home run, and they gave the MVP the Giancarlo Stanton because he's from L.A. Like, come on. Come on. He didn't even win the game. He hit a home run just like Buxton did. Buxton won the game, and they gave him this stand because he used to sit in left field, and this is where he used to grow up. Come on. Come on. So, of course, I, I can't wait to see it be played. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting week, and they got some time off. So this is really going to be a slow week in sports other than summer league and you know, all of the preseason stuff that a lot of these teams are going to try to get together. Um, but, yeah, Mike, I mean, that pretty much puts a bow on a lot of what we got going on here. Uh, give me your last final thoughts, anything that you'd like to promote, shout out, as we close the doors here at Sports City. Real quick, uh, before we sign off, uh, a rest in power to Nikki mccray Pinson, uh, two-time SEC Player of the Year, was big, didn't win a national championship at Tennessee, but was really big on helping those young uh, young ladies that came behind her uh, for Pat Summers' run of three titles in a row um, in the late 90s. She also uh, scored over 2,500 points uh, in the WNBA, uh, played for many years there. Uh, long-time assistant coach for Don Staley at South Carolina, was the head coach of Mississippi State during the COVID year. Uh, but she succumbed to cancer this past week. Uh, but she touched the lives of, of many, many young ladies playing the sport of basketball. And that's that's a loss that will be felt for a long time to come. But one of Pat Summit's prized pupils, uh, you know, got called home this week. So 
Uh, Nikki McCray Pinton will we'll miss you. Rest in power, young lady. Uh, so just a quick shout-out to her and all that she brought to uh, the sport of women's basketball. As far as everything else, man, sportscitychefs.com. Check out the blog, websites, all the different things we got going on. We got the college cookout on Wednesday nights. We got roundtable gumbo on Thursdays. We got the time of Sunday morning brunch on Sunday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern. And, TP, man, it's always a pleasure and a privilege to do this with you. I appreciate you allowing me to be your co-host for these last couple years, and I look forward to being able to do it for a long time to come, man. Much love and respect to you. Without you, I wouldn't be here. Respect to all the other chefs out there as well. Uh, Serious Villain, my co-host Chandler on Thursday nights, uh, and all the other chefs that that help us put hot topics up on your spoon, as the song says, and and serve these up to you uh, on a regular basis here in Sports City. But until next time, man, laissez-les-bon-temps-roulés. Peace. That is for sure. And number 23, Nikki McCray, I can never forget you kept bumping into some doggone state, a.k.a. Connecticut. I, I can still remember the Jim Rosati days and y'all going back and forth, you and her, and Rebecca Lobo, and big old Carol Walters. And, boy, did I ever meet Carol Walters. The way I met Carol Walters, y'all would never believe. I love telling the story. Um, but I I met Carol Walters sitting down with her standing over my shoulder. And you talking about seeing six eight standing over you? First off, I thought it was a guy. <laughs> like I'm like, hold on, somebody is real big behind me. And it was Carol Walters, Natalie Williams, another big girl, and she's six foot five. And Katie Schumacher, a former big girl from um, UConn, and, and she was like six six. I'm looking at all three of these girls. I'm like, I'm sitting at a blackjack table in Connecticut. And looked at three of them like, what in the world? <laughs> they said, can we sit down and play with them? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can play. I'm looking, I'm at amazement watching these girls play cards, and I had to help them. And they were like, you're cool. And Carol wanted, I was like, man, I'm ready to take pictures with y'all. But that was a great night. But um, nevertheless, man, I, I remember the, the Latina Davis days with Nikki McCray and all of them, and they couldn't get it done. And just the aura out here, how Connecticut finally brought a championship back here with Gino running with them. And, Nikki McCray was one of my favorites. She was one of my favorites, and then it was a shock of the news just watching her get the the, uh, the briefing of anything I had. All of my devices were just reading Nikki had passed away, and I'm like, incredible timing, and, and just how heavy this week has been for me and my family to pass three or four weeks and how many losses that I've been going through, man. It's, in, it's incredible. <clears throat> People, if you don't, you know, show love or express feelings to somebody that you love, please do, man. Love all your loved ones, man. Tell them you love them. Hopefully you hear it back, man, because you just never know how valuable and precious life is. When they say life is short, that stuff is a true thing for real. Um, I can't say enough, man. I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best not to get all emotional right now, but it's hard, uh, especially in the summertime where a lot of people end up losing their lives, whether the gun violence or senseless stuff or just the times, you know, sign of the times of things that are happening to us day by day, but just try to be good to your neighbor, good to your family as best as you can. Apologize if you need to, man. Be a bigger person. I'm learning that the best way I can. Uh, trying to be patient is, is, is more as possible too, man. But uh, there's a lesson in life, man, one way or another, man. I, I don't have all the answers, but at least I'm trying to be a visionary. Um 
I miss a lot, man. I miss a lot, but at least the sports stuff keeps me up as best as I possibly can. And I'm thankful for everybody that's crossed paths with me. Thankful for my family here. Thankful for my, my family within Sports City. Thankful for everybody that supports us. To say the most, man. I'm trying my best to not do this emotionally, but it's, it's hard with a tear dropping down my face. But on that note, tell a friend to tell a friend that it's the chefs again. And if they don't know, now they know. City chefs is in the room, cooking up hot topics to put up on your spoon. They well in tune, blown like a flower in June. Superman verse, MF Doom, the clouds loom. So tell a friend it's the sports city chefs again. Pay attention, tune in, we on the set again. Uh-huh.